Nightmerica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmerica. And please tell your friends about us. Welcome to Nightmerica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because, to paraphrase Ray Parker Jr., whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhoods. Episode 17, 4th of July, and National Nightmares. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So today we're going to be talking a little bit, well, as we record this, we're leading up to 4th of July weekend. Lots Mm -hmm. of fireworks all over the place. Barbecues. That was a good firework sound. (laughs) Not static. Sounded a little bit like static or radio interference, but that was Brit's fireworks sound. It's ASMR. Right. (laughs) And I'm your co-host, Aaron Sagers, and joined... As always, by Brit. Brit ASMR I'm... host. That's also probably the quietest I'll ever be on this podcast ever. The fireworks sounds? No, the whispering of me saying it's ASMR. People are going to think it's paranormal in nature. <laughs> which would be crazy. Brit's I wonder so if, quiet. <laughs> if I never really thought about that, I wonder with all the podcasts that are being recorded, if there are any... EVPs, electronic voice phenomena mm-hmm. that have been picked up in the course of recording a podcast. Oh my God, we should thought. do a podcast on that. Well, we would have to know what the evidence would be if that's occurred before. True. And the thing with a lot of audio equipment is, well, first off, a producer for podcasts that have a true producer and... Uh, staff they would be listening for things and probably eliminating any kind of anomalies not because not because they're trying to eliminate evidence but they're just not even thinking about it they're like oh there's some random sound so it's kind of an interesting interesting thought but that aside so fourth of july what is you grew up since you grew up in france does this holiday not really have much of a i mean you are american and the French Revolution definitely. Bastille was, Day is coming up. Yes, modeled. Yes, so like the French democratic system was heavily inspired by the American democratic mm-hmm. system. But do you have a lot of thoughts or fond recollections of Fourth of July? So actually, I do because Fourth of July is the anniversary of my parents' very first ever date. My mom was like real gorgeous in high school. I mean, she's real gorgeous now, but she was like so beautiful in high school. And my dad was this sweet, 
little nerd that wore these giant glasses and he was the cashier at their local grocery store. And my mom had a date on the 4th of July with someone else, but she kind of had a crush on my dad because my dad was like a really beloved guy in the community. And my dad finally got the guts to ask her out. And so my mom stood up someone else to go out with my dad It'll be their 42nd anniversary uh, this coming 4th of July. So happy anniversary, guys. They're real cute. So I like that celebrating the birth of America, birth of our nation, 244 (laughs) years of celebrating our founding fathers, (laughs) declaring independence, but Brit has to make it about her and her lineage. And <laughs> yeah, but it's such a cute story. They you know, went to Dairy Queen and they got a Cherry Mr. Misty. And they still do that. I find it incredibly cute that the founding fathers <laughs> were declared independence from King George III in 1776. <laughs> and that 4th of July is commemorating essentially ultimately the birth of our nation i think that that's pretty cute well but, also you know, on the fourth of july the declaration of independence wasn't even signed in july so it's like not even like a necessarily specific date well okay but it <laughs> okay so that's why <laughs> it's more of a personal holiday that's why everybody gets a day off in fact it's, it's to celebrate White men. Brit's, Brit's family. Um, for me, I mean, I love, I'm such a child of summer. I love summer. I love the sunshine. I love heat, hot weather. So, and I like a good barbecue. Mm-hmm. Fireworks I enjoy. I'm not like, I'm not so enamored with fireworks as other, I mean, I like things blowing up. I love blowing things <laughs> up. But, I mean, I, you know. I have some some habits old habits die hard I would blow things up as a child so I still enjoy it but I'm not so much into fireworks displays but I do enjoy them they're fun how do your dogs a lot of fireworks my dogs are pretty chill about it and I'll tell you so we of course are during this time during sort of as we record this during pandemic time and a time of a lot of social unrest and protests against, you know, systemic racism, there have been a lot of all-night fireworks displays, especially mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, where I live, and it is getting a little tiring. I mean, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of reasons behind the constant fireworks, and and I think that there's some young people that are setting them off. I think it's both rebellion and sort of part of a protest i don't really advocate calling the cops on someone for for sending off fireworks but it has been pretty non-stop in new york recently yeah but uh the dogs are okay with it more or less they've been a little twitchy as it just continues going on and on and on kind of makes me wonder if there'll be less enthusiasm for actual fireworks displays this year in in many cities because yeah, of be. the cost of fireworks but, but so yeah, that's that's kind of the basis of of what we're leading into this week, mm-hmm. and and spoiler, 
neither of the stories we're going to be telling has anything to do with Brit's uh, parents going on the first date. So I don't, I just want the audience to know right now, if you're expecting a setup, a story, a good paranormal story about their first date. No, there's nothing. Womp womp. Yeah. Sorry there guys. Two high schoolers. It, it's, yeah. It's dull. They're still married. They're still cute. Like it's, you know, it's not. Happiness paranormal. is dull. People, Happiness is dull. <laughs> yes. People people being in love years after, decades after uh, going on the first date. That's yep. not good Not good drama. <laughs> Instead, we do have good drama. We have uh, some true crime and paranormal stories. Coming right up, but first, how about some news? What, what news story of the weird are you bringing today this, to Night America? This... Tonight, America. So I read a really good article in the New York Times called Many, Many Nights at the Museum by Stefanos Chen. Um, for those who are lucky enough to be working during the pandemic, I am not one of them. But for those who are lucky enough, they are able to work from home. Um, but the New York Times wrote this article on people who always work from home. And that's people that are hired by the New York Department of Parks and Rec who live full time at the historic mansions across the city. I think this is so cool, Aaron. I think you should do this. Um, it's people who like t live in the house full time. They take care of it. They give tours. They like do posts about it. Um, but now during Corona, they're just hanging out because there's no one coming in to do tours. So the catch is it's super hard to get a job with them. I checked. And it's also tough because they don't have like a lot of current technology the cell reception is spotty and like a lot of them don't have tvs but they have ghosts there's a oh, guy of course, yeah so cool there's a guy antonio cruz he takes care of uh one of the bronx mansions uh i couldn't it didn't say exactly which one in the story i wonder if they're trying to keep his privacy a little bit um but in a quote from the article he says in 2005 Mr. Cruz heard a frightening scream around 2 a.m. from the end of a long driveway. The next morning, it was clear that someone tried to jimmy the window of their car, but left in a hurry. They believe a spirit, perhaps a past resident, was watching out for the caretaker and his family. So they're preventing robberies, those ghosts. They're good ghosts. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's endless stories about protective spirits that that warn people of impending danger. There's some there's some really creepy ones out there. I'm not gonna recap them. Recap? I'm not gonna recap <laughs> them now. <laughs> or recap them now. But there are some great stories of protective ghosts out there. I find it I find it fascinating. It makes me wonder. There's the Morris Jumel Mansion in manhattan it's um something like over 200 years 200 i think it might be older than than the nation you? itself oh. and it's and it's um like at the tippy tip of manhattan and i know that's notoriously haunted so it's it's close to the bronx i wonder if that's maybe, maybe. what they're talking about maybe Cool. But uh, that's cool. Was there more from that story you wanted to share? 
No. I mean, it's a great article. You can find it on the New York Times, but that was like the main ghost segment. Yeah. No, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. I always wanted to be a park ranger when you I was You would a be kid. a great park ranger. That's why when I read like, this article, I thought of you. You're good at this kind of stuff. Well, I would happily live in a mansion. Thank you. I'm glad you. I'm glad when you think who would be great at living in a haunted mansion, you do think of me. I I would love to do that, especially if it was the haunted mansion from yeah. Disney. But when I was a kid, I thought that when you were a park ranger, I had this idea that yes, it was a great job, but I was always very always very concerned about like how you peed because <laughs> I thought I thought that when you're a park ranger that you had to live the whole time in the little Aww. sort of lookout thing on the top of like the stilts or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I'm like, that could be really inconvenient. You got to go up and down all the time. If you got to go to the bathroom, do they have bathrooms up there? So it was really my my own toiletry concerns that I think perhaps kept me from pursuing that life. So. Oh, that's great. Haunted Mansion Caretaker, though, it's right up my alley. Although, then you have to worry about ghosts watching you poop and pee. Yep. And people throwing their ashes at you if you're at the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely that, too. Well, that, yeah, that does happen. We've talked yeah. about that before. But but that doesn't really happen because there's not typically actors inside the Haunted Mansion. True. So it's not being thrown at people. It's like they're dumping it out. On the side of the ride, which then cameras captured. And, and then, then people like, vacuum get, up. Get vacuumed up and just discarded unceremoniously. I like that story a lot. Mine is more... It's definitely newsy. I mean, it's it's national news. So, you know, you've, you've certainly heard of a lot of these this footage being released by the Air Force and the government about UFOs or uh, unidentified uh, aerial phenomena is what they're calling it now instead of UFOs. I still like UFOs more. I prefer UFOs. Yeah, it's just catchy. You're not going to stop trying to make UAPs happen, government. Yeah. Anyhow, so there's been a lot of those leaking out and... I don't know if you're familiar with the idea, the, the concept of disclosure. Mm -mm. That, well, it means that we are moving or hopefully moving towards this moment of acknowledgement of really what's going on. That basically the government or governments around the world know what's going on and that, that we're getting closer to them saying, okay, here's the deal, here's the skinny. Well, the Senate Intelligence Committee... And uh, this is coming from Politico uh, just from a couple of days ago. Senate Intelligence, Intelligence Committee has voted to require U.S. intelligence agencies and the Defense Department to compile a detailed public analysis of all data, data collected on unidentified aerial phenomena, including intrusions recorded by Navy pilots in recent years. So what this really means is that some of these senators want the public to see the government's UFO reports. Yep, show us the receipts. Show us the receipts. And where are the UFOs, yo? And and literally show us the receipts, because if we're making them, how much is it costing us to make these <laughs> these crafts? Yeah. You know, that's, I think, I mean, that's, that, that's certainly, I don't know if you ever saw the, the movie Independence Day with Will nope, Smith. but Of course not. 
just, it's, it's a great movie. And Independence Day, hey, timely, uh, timely, timely reference. So the actor Judd Hirsch uh, plays Jeff Goldblum's father, and at one point, someone's like, wait, aliens are real? You have a secret base? What's going on? And he's like, of course. Like, look at how much the government is saying it spends on things. Do you really think a, you know, a hammer costs $500? No. Where do you think all that money is going? So, yeah, I tend to think that there's certainly money being funneled elsewhere. Anyhow, this committee is saying that it, quote, remains concerned that there is no unified, comprehensive process within the federal government for collecting and analyzing intelligence on UAP despite the potential threat which is kind of interesting they go straight to potential threat and so the some senators had already previously been briefed on some of these things but they basically want more information to be coming to come out for the public to get access to it it's the panel is chaired by Marco Rubio the Republican senator from Florida not a fan of him, I'm willing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that this is an interesting thing for them to be pursuing. Maybe it's not top level. There's yeah. a lot of other things that perhaps we should be pursuing right now instead of this. But I do find this somewhat interesting. Although, I, I think that this kind of committee does somewhat legitimize the topic I don't think that it's so crazy anymore to talk about UFOs and wanting more government transparency. For sure. I also don't think it's going to happen. I I am somewhat skeptical that we're going to have a disclosure moment. I tend to think that what we're getting is maybe as much as we're going to be getting and then things will sort of be dialed down again sort of to calm people's interest down again like okay they got that so then we're gonna like turn down the notch a little bit and i think that honestly there are probably agencies and money moving behind the scene that we know nothing about and if there are people within the government that don't want us to know about it Marco Rubio and his intelligence committee is not going to compel them to share that information. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it'll probably remain somewhat yeah. obscured as long as as long as certain intelligence agencies want to keep it obscured. So, yeah, I don't I mean, do you think people are ready for that kind of information? I don't know. Like I. I feel like there is probably a small percentage of the population that is, I feel like probably a large part of our listeners and most people that listen to paranormal stuff are, but like, I know a lot of people that just flat out don't believe in aliens. And I think they would be completely flabbergasted at hearing that news. Well, it doesn't have to be aliens either. There's, there's the, there's a lot of different potential things so is it if are the things in the sky are they government in nature man-made are they other governments Uh, are they are they indeed extraterrestrial are they something else are they time travelers are they interdimensional craft who knows but i would like i would like that information yeah i I think people 
I think people overall could handle it. However, and look, especially in 2020, man, it's like, just keep throwing it out. We like, like, we have everything, you know, if we can wrap our heads around all this shit. Well, and even the, well, the news item I didn't talk about was like this Loch Ness photo that came out the other day. It's like, of course, and, and maybe it's not the Loch, and maybe it's not Nessie, but it's like, of course, there's a Loch Ness monster photo that would come out in 2020. So why not aliens? Give us aliens. Yeah. But I think that another Will Smith quote, well, from a Will Smith movie, <laughs> Men in Black, guessing you didn't see it. No, I don't like Will no. Smith. Okay. Yeah. Why would you like the, you know, one of the few remaining legitimate movie stars out there? One of the highest grossing I Actors. just, I don't like that he named his kids after himself. <laughs> okay. I know I guess hearing that's... myself say it out loud, it sounds so stupid. <laughs> but I just One think they're reason. very full of themselves. To, yeah, okay. <laughs> See, I, I mean, like, I do agree maybe the Smith family is slightly eccentric, but Will Smith, especially in the mid-90s, He's turning out hit after hit, Independence Day, and then Men in Black, you know, was a different story. Anyhow, from Men in Black, a great movie, especially for our our audience. There's this moment where Will Smith's character says, why keep this, this notion of alien secret? People are smart. They can handle it. And Tommy Lee Jones's character says, a person is smart. People are dumb. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous yeah, animals. Yeah. That's a good quote. And so, you know, I tend to think that that's interesting because, yes, I think people can process things, but people also get caught up in mob mentalities or, um, you know, or <laughs> conspiracy theories and hoaxes and things of that nature. So. Yeah. So thanks for listening to our podcast, guys, while we fill you in with all that stuff of cryptids and conspiracies and... Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not... Uh, I don't really tell a lot of conspiracy theories. True. I, mean, I like more I conspiracy theories, but we haven't done any. Well, I like I like some conspiracy theories, but, you know, I, I like things that are more research, that I can research a little bit more. But anyhow, that said, so... Oh, well, you know, let's maybe we should actually tell some we stories. We should tell some stories. Uh, okay. We're like 20 so, minutes in. Yeah, well, that's the news, and we're going to talk about 4th of July and National Nightmares right Mm -hmm. after this word from our sponsor. Think things are bad now? Well, it could be worse. Don't believe me? Just read Dead Run, the new sci-fi thriller from author Mike Maddox. A mysterious force is taking control of people's bodies and making them run to stay alive and if you can't keep running now this is the ad copy so i'm reading the ad copy because it says if you can't keep running you blow up like spaghetti left in the microwave too long it's not a good scene Mm -mm. it's a very messy and it's got to have marinara sauce because then it kind of looks like blood right and this the pasta itself would be sort of look like viscera and except in a microwave, but at least in a microwave, you're contained. 
the, the explosion is contained. Yeah. It's a messy microwave to clean up. But if you're running down the road and you can't keep can't Flat. run anymore, just splat. You're just and then you're all over your friends <laughs> and the other Ew. apocalyptic pals. You do are not nearby. splat on me. And in an apocalypse, you don't have easy access to soap, water. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if you can stop running long enough to sh- like shampoo and and bathe after yeah. your friend, your your pal, is just blown up on you. Anyhow, <laughs> I mean, this is really, I think, selling the book. Anyhow, the story follows a group of weary travelers as they make their way through a hellish landscape where there's only one rule: run or die. This is Dead Run. And other than being chilling and scary, it will also perhaps inspire you to eat the right kind of carbs <laughs> and jog every day just in case this apocalypse hits. So check it out. It's available exclusively on Amazon Kindle. It's only like three bucks. It's well worth your three bucks. And read Dead Run by Mike Maddox on Amazon Kindle. you by manscaped and to talk about the men's grooming kits we have one of its fiercest fans mr lawrence talbot an actual werewolf from london right love cheers for having me on although i prefer lycanthrope the whole ww word is a bit unseemly although i should also note i have been an american citizen for a while now Ah, so that would explain that almost indistinguishable British accent. Anyhow, Larry, I'm surprised you're in wolf form, even though there's not a full moon elf. That's right. Well, I used to view my condition as a bit of a curse, what with all the hair everywhere. But with the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 and its durable, skin-safe ceramic blade, which has small teeth, unlike myself, I can be quite the dapper wolf with my crown jewels, if you will, remaining secure. Now I actually prefer to stay in wolf form permanently. Pardon me for saying so, but you have a lot of hair. It must take you forever to groom. Most certainly. It takes quite a bit of time. Thankfully, the lawnmower 3.0 holds a 90-minute charge, so I have all the time in the world. And with the built-in LED light, I can even see on a moonless night as I... As I trim my... my dolly bits, my undercarriage, my John Thomas. Right, right, we get it. Wolfman's got nards. And with Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0's waterproof technology, you can even clean up in the moors on a rainy English or American night. It's perfectly splendid, isn't it? And speaking of moors, I still do enjoy taking a bite out of the occasional backpacker. But with the Crop Preserver Bull Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner, any passers-by that comes close will only smell the aroma of the freshest dangly bits. But don't take our word for it, or even that of a gentleman lycanthrope. Because with the code NIGHTMERICA, you can get 20% off a Manscaped order and receive free shipping. Head to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA, and you can check out their anti-chafing boxer briefs, weed whacker nose hair trimmer, and crop cleanser hair and body wash, all from... Wolf Manscaped. No, only from Manscaped. Manscaped, the right tools for the job. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. And we're back. Well, so, let's dive in. Let's let's fire up the 4th of July barbecue, mm -hmm. get some fireworks going, settle in for a spooky story. Britt, why don't, why don't you kick things off? Great. Uh, so, it is in San Angelo, Texas, where my story takes place. It's a small city kind of in the center of the state. It is 1987. Aaron's 10 years old. Uh, and Sally McNally, I'm really going to try to say her name correctly because I want to say Sally McNally, but it's not. It's Sally McNally. She is age 17 and she starts dating Shane Stewart, who is age 16. They had been dating for about six months when Sally's mom becomes suspicious that they are dabbling in a satanic cult because Sally is sneaking out at night. So to us, that probably seems like a huge jump <laughs> to be like, you're sleeping right. out at night, you love Satan. Um, but in the time that this is happening, like the 80s and 90s, satanic panic is like a huge thing. Um, that year, there's actually a huge court case going on where a preschool is being accused of satanic practices. So it's oh, yeah. yeah, it's kind of of the moment. I I lived through the satanic panic. It was you know it it basically came into my own home. It uh it yeah it, it was a real deal and and God knows I attended so many sleepovers with Satan. Satan throws some great slumber parties. <laughs> so I mean, what kind of food panic? does he serve? Flaming hot Cheetos. Um, he serves deviled eggs, of course, and uh, devil's food cake. Oh, and devil's Satan's... food cake is actually my favorite cake. Satan is really on brand. <laughs> but continue. Continue. Pat, Sally's mom, started calling the parents of all of Sally's friends uh, and said, "Like, what's going on? What?" you know, are your kids experiencing anything? And all the parents said that the kids were going to ritualistic parties um, and that Sally had apparently gone into like a full trance at one of these parties and it scared her friends so much that they stopped attending while Sally and Shane kept going, just the two of them. And similarly, Shane's dad was noticing the same thing with Shane and that he was even starting to get into like really big fights with people at school, which was not his normal personality. So they know something's up and start getting strict. I'm sure probably, you know, what's not giving them detention. What's the word when you're like in trouble and not allowed to leave the house? Grounded. Grounded. I was never Apparently grounded. Apparently this, this didn't happen to you. No, I was never grounded. I was like a dork kid. Um... But so I'm sure they got grounded and were scolded. So 
pissed off with their parents, these teenagers got an apartment together in early 1988, how they're allowed to do this. I don't get it. Um, but they continued to go to cult meetings. Um, but Sally started to like really getting scared for their lives. And at one point, actually someone in the cult gave them a gun. I don't know if it's to commit a crime or for like security purposes, but Sally got freaked out and actually turned it into the police. Um, and they were able to see the serial number on it and notice that it had been reported stolen by the original owner. So this dangerous cult was stealing guns. Uh, Sally and Shane were scared that the cult was going to retaliate on them. And again, these kids were like 18 years old. So they decided to skip town separately for a couple months. And then they both came back like three months later at the end of June but told their friends that they're lying low because they're super terrified of this cult. And Sally actually was quoted by her friends, uh, one of her friends saying she was afraid that they were going to be killed. So on July 3rd, Shane is at his dad's house when they get a suspicious phone call. Shane's talking on the phone. His dad's in the room and is kind of overhearing, but not exactly sure what's being said. But the dad assumes that it's someone from the cult and he hears Shane talking about money that he owes. And his dad told the police, like I said, do you need money? Are you in trouble? And Shane was like, no, no, I have it under control. So then comes the night in question. It's now the 4th of July. And like most young couples, they decide to hop in Shane's car and drive out to see the fireworks. Uh, they're in a part of San Angelo called Lake Nasworth. Uh, it's around 9 p.m. And then from there, after the fireworks are done, they're spotted at 1 a.m. by a fisherman who spotted them at a place called O.C. Fisher Lake, which is only about 20 minutes away from where they saw the fireworks in the first place. Um, and he saw them drinking and overheard them talking about not wanting to be with those people anymore. And so he's like, whatever, these are kids just drinking, partying, and he just kind of walks off. Personally, I have questions about what fisherman is out there at 1 a.m., but like, I don't know much about fishing, so maybe that's like a thing. It's a lot of, a lot of nighttime fishing that happens. Hmm, interesting. Two days later, Shane's car is found abandoned next to O.C. Lake when they were seen there at 1 a.m., and there's fast food wrappers all over the front seat of the car, um... And similar to last week's episode, the police label them as runaways. Since they had left town a few months ago, um, the police just kind of wrote it off like they dumped their car and ran away because they were, you know, just troubled kids. Shane's dad and uh, Sally's mom, of course, are convinced otherwise. Shane's dad tells them, you know, about the call that he had gotten the day before um, and actually said that Shane had said another teen in this group was out to get them and that they actually were super scared of him uh, and told this to police, but police did nothing. They didn't follow up on it. So Shane's dad actually went as far as going to this kid's house to question him himself, but the kid refused to talk. But he did apparently have scratches on him, and this was shared with police, and they never interviewed him. Four months after this, their bodies are found where they first went to see the fireworks. So it's like they saw fireworks, they drove away, their car is found there, and their bodies are found back where they saw the fireworks. 
Um, it's only 20 minutes. Looking on the maps, it's not super far. I just find it kind of suspicious that they'd be like back and forth. Um, but their bodies were found. They had been killed by a shotgun blow to the head. Uh, and of course, then the wow. police changed their tune about them being runaways. That's convincing. Convincing. Shotgun. Yep. Yeah. The trail, of course, had been gone cold by then. Um, and like, honestly, one of the saddest things I've read while researching true crime stories was that Sally's mom told reporters that Sally was buried in her prom dress, which like, oh, that hit me really hard. Definitely heartbreaking and a reminder of the, the youth, the, the lost, lost life there. So yeah. A future, future robbed. Yeah. So my story could end there. But in 2017, a man by the name of John Gilbreth was stopped at a traffic stop. And in his car, police found a half pound of weed, body armor, and a firearm. He could have played off like he was just a pothead hunter. uh, But he was a felon from a previous crime. I did like a ton of internet digging, couldn't find out what this crime was. But I'm guessing dealing drugs because they found scales in his car as well. Um, And in his mugshot photo, he's 47 and he looks like 100 years old. And hard drugs age you guys, so don't do drugs. But because he has all of this and was a felon, the police get a warrant to search his apartment. And guess what they find? A lock of hair, a fingernail and blood that tied back to Shane and Sally. There were also three tapes with the initials SS. So it could be Shane Sally or Shane's full name was Shane Stewart. So it could be either one of those. Um, It hasn't been released what's on these tapes, but this guy is the exact same age as what Shane and Sally were at the time. Like, you know, if they had lived, they would all be the same age. So my speculation is that maybe this guy could have been the one his dad went to visit, but police never followed up on. That guy's name was never released because he wasn't a suspect. So we don't know. But that's my speculation. Hmm. He's been marked a person of interest in this case. He hasn't officially been charged yet, even though he was released from federal prison a year ago for drug trafficking. But police say they are building a case and they just want to be like 100% ready before they go to trial. So I've got my news alerts on and I'm hoping that I can update you guys when more information comes across. But I'm hoping it's this dude and, you know, these families can get you know, some justice. Yeah. Wow. This is, yeah. So this is ongoing. Yeah. Crazy. Ongoing. Um, and speaking of ongoing things, I actually this week got an update about a case I covered for the internet episode. Um, nothing exciting, but just both of those dates for the trial of the two killers were postponed because of COVID. So that's just another update, but yeah, I'll keep you guys updated for Shane and Sally's killer. Yeah, that's that's crazy. The Fourth of July murders. One thing I was gonna say is, as we were talking, like we should do an episode on cults yes. and maybe 
and maybe locations connected with them. I, even though I was raised Catholic and did grow up during the Satanic Panic and do actually hold some sort of, some belief about darker forces, you would say, Mm -hmm. I also do not necessarily buy into, uh, I think it's too easy to paint a lot of like people who practice certain kinds of belief systems or even some Satanists themselves that are not, you know, it's it's easy to label them as evil or bad. Totally. Um, if you do research into Satanism, they're actually really peaceful people that fight for justice. That some are. Some are. There's, it's not like, it's not a strict belief system. There are some that use Satanism as a as sort of a way of rebelling or pushing back against religious norms or organized religion. But there are some that certainly do practice certain kind of black magic and ritualistic, uh, you know, uh, like blood sacrifices, things like that, that are that are trying to actually bring about evil. But it's not uh, you can't really paint them all with the same brush. That said, it is interesting. It'd be a a cool topic for us to get into. Let's do later it. On. What's your topic for this week? Well, I'm going to get into that, um, and it is connected to the founding of our country. But before I do, let's hear from another sponsor. Nightmarica is excited to announce we have a new sponsor, Manscaped. And to talk about the men's grooming kit, we have a really big fan of Manscaped. But not a man, a Sasquatch. From the Florida Everglades, let's welcome Skunk Ape to the show. Thanks for joining, Mr. Ape. Oh, Skunk is fine, just fine. That's uh, that's what my friends call me. Even though you're an elusive cryptid, you're able to have a social life? Oh, sure, sure. Wood booger, yeah, we mow, mow, wendigo, mow galong. We all, we all hang out. Well, that's great. With all those friends, it's probably important to look your best. We take a lot of pride in how we look uh, in the Sasquatch community, especially, uh, Since, uh, as you can imagine, there ain't a whole heck of a lot of us out there, so it gets pretty darn competitive getting attention from the lady squatches. So the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped has a durable, skin-safe ceramic blade when you groom your, uh, squatchy regions. Don't you know it? That Lawnmower 3.0 holds an edge, so I'm less likely to nick my nugs. It's happened before, and it ain't pretty. There's blood everywhere. Everyone down in the glades heard me howl out that one time. Whoop whoop! That's what that's what it sounded like when I nicked my nugs, but not with this lawnmower 3.0. Dude, that's intense. I have certainly been there. It is no fun at all. Skunky, I imagine grooming down there probably takes a lot of time because you're a pretty big guy. Well, you know what they say about big feet. Big shoes? Big balls! Yep, right sizable. Sasquatchicles. Big old ones. But with them lithium-ion batteries I can charge that puppy up on the USB dock, I can use it for 90 minutes. It's even waterproof, so I can fire it up in the glades and take a good long time getting my squashticles right where they needs to be. Well, with that waterproof technology, that's got to be helpful in the glades. Or even for a human like me who uses the shower. Is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 getting you noticed down there? Only in the right ways. All the lady squatches, or, or men, no no judgment, they take notice. 
but I can still stay hidden because with that quiet stroke technology, it does not make a lot of noise and attract unwanted look-a-loos. And that's a very important part of the Squatch code. You gotta stay undercover, you know? I can even groom up my Squatchticles in the middle of the night because it's got an LED light on it so you can see where your Patterson and Gimlin are. It's a memorable pair. And speaking of memorable pairs, you also like the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Well, you might have heard I have a bit of an odor issue, hence the nickname Skunky. And with the Florida humidity, uh, I can smell pretty darn ripe down there. So I use that Manscaped Ball Deodorant to, to make the Squashicles smell fresh as a daisy and the Ball Toner to freshen up when Skunk turns to funk. Maybe we should start calling you flowers instead of skunky. Well, skunky, if you or your Squatch buddies or any listeners out there want to groom safely and who doesn't, head over to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA for 20% off plus free shipping off your order. For one more time, that's... Squatchscaped. No, no, it's not. It's Manscaped. Manscaped, the right tools for the job. And we're back, and we're going to continue our 4th of July and National Nightmares by actually talking a little bit about our founding fathers. Well, one of them, anyhow. So, in 1787, the nation was very young, and a group of well-known and powerful Philadelphians gathered together in the home of one Benjamin Franklin. You know him? Benji. And yes, you apparently you know him personally. <laughs> you always know someone knows a person personally that when you say their name, they respond with the nickname. Yep. Sort of like, have you heard of Thomas Jefferson? Oh, Tommy. Yep. Tommy. We Tom. Tom. We go way back. Yeah, TJ. Anyhow, TJ was not there to my knowledge, but Benji was. Benjamin Franklin, everybody gathered at his house, and instead of throwing a party like you might do when you've got a young republic on your hands, instead, the members of the Philadelphia Society for Alleviating the Miseries of Public Prisons, that's oh, a mouthful, yeah. they were expressing growing concern with the conditions in American and European prisons. Hmm. Okay, so now enter a different Benji. Dr. Benjamin Rush, and he had the goal to see that Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, would set sort of this international standard in prison design. He proposed this radical idea to build a penitentiary, a prison, and then this word was was new, this didn't exist, a prison designed to create genuine regret and penitence in the criminal's heart and this is can i guess and you know well before i get to that this is let me say that this is not just a this is part of the the country's young history but also notable because this this structure became as much a part of american history because it set a standard worldwide and was considered an architectural wonder. So, yes, what what was built 30 years later in farmland outside of Philadelphia? Eastern State. 
Yes, Eastern State yes. Penitentiary. I was hoping you would cover this. You're an expert on it. Well, Eastern State is certainly a near and dear to my heart. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. He was so there. thirty he years was stationed there for a bit, guys. I, I was not because it closed <laughs> before before I was born. But thirty years later, in farmland outside of Philadelphia. Now, of course, it's just part of Philadelphia. It's not farmland, but. 30 years later, Eastern State Penitentiary did open, and the first prisoner was Charles Williams. Charles Williams, prisoner number one, uh, just so we have a sense of the description that they wrote down. Charles Williams, prisoner number one, burglar, light black skin, five feet, seven inches tall. His foot size was 11 inches, scar on nose, scar on thigh, broad mouth, black eyes, Farmer by trade can read theft included one $20 watch, one $3 gold seal, one gold key, and sentenced to two years of confinement. So, you know, you kind of get a sense that people were locked away for quite a long ways, uh, a long time for not huge crimes. Yeah. And, and actually, there were female inmates there as well. The first female inmate was brought in in 1831, and they were held, many of them, uh, women were held there until 1923. Anyhow, this new structure, it opened in 1829. It became one of the most expensive buildings in America at its uh, at its opening, and it was the most famous prison in the world, the idea of the penitentiary was not just to punish, but to move the criminal towards some sort of spiritual reflection. How did they do this? Well, this was inspired by a Quaker system. Isolation, primarily. Isolation and labor. So this system was very strict, and to focus these prisoners, they would be have minimal interaction with the guards, they were hooded whenever they were outside of their cells, like literally hooded. I think they had earmuffs on, so there was not a lot. They were essentially sensory deprivation. The guards themselves would walk through with padded shoes, and the food carts were padded so you wouldn't hear them wow. coming and going. And isolated from other prisoners, they had this cell with a private little, uh, little garden. wasn't a nice thing, though, because... They were kept in their cells all day long. I think they had like an hour outside of their cells Mm. in the garden. They also had this little skylight. Some people called it the eye of God. This has been somewhat disputed, but the idea was to focus your reflection on on your penitence. This this is where we got this new word, penitentiary, through penitence. Mm. You know, silence and reflection. Uh, the architect behind it was actually British, John Jonathan Haviland. He designed this building. This was also the most modern building in America at the time. And some of the things that made it so modern was, well, there was a central rotunda that could look down these initial seven cell blocks. It was a form of surveillance. You know, it was a central rotunda. You could look down and see what was going on in each cell block. Also... In addition to every prisoner having their own private cell, it was, again, architectural wonder. It was centrally heated. There was running water and a flushing toilet 
in addition to that skylight and the whole uh the whole and then their exercise yard had like a 10 foot wall so they had this heat and running water and a flushing toilet in an age when not even Andrew Jackson, who was in the White House, yeah. had running water. Wow. And so this, but this was a very Gothic, is a Gothic style building, Gothic exterior with this massive wall, this menacing medieval facade. And the idea is it's meant to intimidate. It looks like a place, a, a castle or a fortress but not a good one, like a, a place where that you are going to be punished mm-hmm. behind these walls. Well, it it was working out because it became a model for other prisons across the globe, and it became a tourist attraction <laughs> because of it being an architectural wonder. And I think at one point, 10,000 people came to visit it in one year. So this was called the Pennsylvania system, This this form of prison and punishment pretty much early on people did develop concerns about the humanity of this of this solitary confinement again removed from other prisoners so what happens when you're not even interacting with guards you can't hear the other prisoners you can't interact some people tried to establish communication between cells but overall perhaps not shockingly it led to a lot of madness it's a lot of um, mental health issues that took place. We are social animals, humans are, mm-hmm. and this isolation was brutal. And in fact, one person that wrote about it early on was Charles Dickens. Now, oh. of course, we know him as the author of, you know, like a Christmas Carol. Yeah, but, I love a Christmas Carol. But he was a journalist. He was a journalist as well, especially before before Christmas Carol and he Eastern State was one of the places he definitely needed to visit when he came to America and in 1842 he wrote quote in its intention I am well convinced that it is kind humane and meant for reformation but big but there (laughs) I am persuaded that those who design this system of prison discipline and those benevolent gentlemen who carry it into execution do not know what it is they are doing. I hold this slow and daily tampering with the mysteries of the brain to be immeasurably worse than any torture of the body. And because its ghastly signs and tokens are not so palpable to the eye, and it extorts few cries that humans can hear, therefore I must denounce it as a secret punishment in which slumbering humanity is not roused up to stay. Which is a very poignant way of saying this is messing with people's minds. You're breaking people. And, well, it wasn't just the solitary confinement. It was also some of the punishment. Some of the things included this thing called the iron gag which definitely sounds medieval in nature. And it was a clamp that would be affixed around a prisoner's tongue. And then there would be some chains or cords that were then connected to the hands, the wrists that would be uh, chained behind their back. And essentially people would be forced to maintain that position for a long time and as if they struggled, if they moved, if they just 
had to stretch out their muscles or whatever, the more they did that, the more this gag would clamp around the tongue, uh. leading to a lot, enormous blood loss, death, uh. obviously a lot of pain, very gruesome. Other things was, imagine Philadelphia. Now, I can say Eastern State Penitentiary, whatever the temperature is outside, it's somehow worse behind those walls. If it's a brutal, hot Philadelphia day, it feels even more humid and hot inside. And on those cold days, those stone walls just make it so bitterly cold. So one of the things they would do, this is also fun, they would dip some of the prisoners as punishment into a bath of ice water and then maybe even hang them up, sort of chain them to a wall so this water would freeze to them. Oh, my God. Yeah. So God definitely. A lot of brutality. And so let's let's continue then. So, yes, that was part of the reason that, that Charles Dickens was not for it. But a lot of people were not for it as well because of the solitary confinement. I don't know if they knew about those forms of punishment. But the, this system stuck around until 1913, this Pennsylvania system. Of solitary confinement and actually there's there's evidence that it started to break down before then but it was officially abandoned it sort of eroded away and then was officially abandoned in 1913 as the building became modernized it also started it had a, a factory style weaving shop a commercial grade bakery hmm. there was an inmate newspaper about the interpenitentiary baseball league and then there, there was two to three men to a cell. The last major addition to the Eastern State Penitentiary, one of the last major buildings, was cell block 15, a.k.a. Death Row. Mm -hmm. That was added in 1956. It should be noted, they did not conduct executions on the grounds of Eastern State Penitentiary, but there was this death row where they would then be shipped elsewhere. There's also this, in modern times, a solitary confinement area called Klondike, or The Hole, and I've spent some time in there uh, as a filming things, not as a prisoner. Did you eat a Klondike bar? Uh, no, but that, that, that tagline of what would you do for, for a, a Klondike, Klondike bar? bar, instead it's what would you not do, or what would you do to stay out of Klondike, the whole nailed it. misery. Nailed it. That'll, we'll so, sell that anyhow. as a ringtone. Yes. <laughs> so it's worth noting that a building that was designed to hold 250 people through some renovations, but also a lot of overcrowding, ended up holding, I think, upwards of 1,700 people at a time. And there were a lot of deaths. And there were riots and whatnot, but I just wanted to mention that some of the early deaths in 1877 when you i've had the rare opportunity of going through the archives at eastern state penitentiary this is not on display in the, the museum and this is something to behold but in 1877 obviously when this thing is this was still a young prison you would see death by consumption and then there was one Death by masturbation, which is interesting. <laughs> Some, which I believe was referred to as dropsy, perhaps. But there's also wait, wait, some... Wait, 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 wait. We're overblowing that. What does that mean? 
Well, I well, I will say this. What that means, I don't know about that particular case, but you'll see things that are just listed as debility or physical debility or other kind of entries. What that can mean is that, you know, oops, these things happen. That sometimes there are deaths and you just need to write down some reason for it. So perhaps due to abuse or extreme punishment, which is abuse. And, you know, you can also look through and see that there were, I mean, there was, it's broken down just by, um, you know, under this quote unquote color category of blacks and whites. And that's about as intricate as it gets. Mm -hmm. But there's, as you can imagine, there were a lot of I would say somewhat suspicious deaths. Yeah, they're just in, filling in, in the, the prison line. logs. Yes, and and it's and it's pretty sad to to look at and go through here. But so yeah, consumption pops up a lot. But mm. so a lot of or some of America's more notorious criminals were held at Eastern State. One of them is Al Capone. Mm-hmm. He. He was held there. He was sentenced to one year in prison at Eastern State, 1929. This was the first time he was actually in front of a judge. And it was pretty cushy for him. Yeah. He spent a lot of that in relative comfort. He was allowed to furnish his room with these antiques, these rugs, these oil paintings. There's a recreation of that at Eastern State today. Also, bank robber Willie Sutton was there and he and he joined a doomed 1945 tunnel escape. There was also a dog. 1924 there was Pep the cat murdering dog, which is somewhat lighthearted compared to some of the other <laughs> yeah. deaths and 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 ugliness that was there. The idea there was that perhaps the governor, the governor claimed that this dog killed his wife's precious cat and was sentenced to life at Eastern State. However, there's a lot of speculation that perhaps it was more sent there to boost morale got it but it but i don't know how pep felt about that yeah. but there were there were riots in 1933 and 34 over mistreatment the largest riot in the prison's history was in 1961 and that's when a lot of discussions of closure took place it was just overcrowded it was in need of desperate need of repairs it was falling apart well, it was closed in 1971, which is to say that there are people that were inmates held there who are still alive, who are still wow. out there. And, and um, you know, and I've, I've had the opportunity to speak to some of them. It's interesting. There's a, the Eastern State Penitentiary has done a lot of good work in talking about the prison system and the sort of the the cruel quote unquote justice of the prison system. Um, They've got a lot of amazing exhibits, but perhaps not surprisingly notorious for being allegedly haunted. And some of the ghost stories that I've heard of go back to 1940, but some say it's one of the most haunted locations in the nation. Well, why 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 would it be haunted? Obviously the abuse, the mm-hmm. isolation. 
But then I tend to think that the fact that, so it was closed in 1971, 1994, it was was just left there. An urban jungle overtook the place, overtaken by nature. It was just sitting there. And in 1994, tours began. And I think that there was just sort of this stew of energy building there. Some of the stories that you hear about pretty much all throughout the building Stories of disembodied voices, whispers, a lot of shadow figure activity, door handles that seem to jiggle on their own, voices coming through radios. I've heard of that, like people that have worked there, some voices coming through the radios, which is not surprising. That's electronic voice Mm -hmm. phenomena. Screams, laughter, cell block 12, cell block 4. Death Row slash um, Klondike the Hole, those are all considered very potent areas. The Guard Tower. Um, In Cell Block 12, there's a lot of shadow figures in particular. There was this, uh, I believe this was added 82 years after, after the initial opening of the prison. It was not part of the original structure, but stories of doors that seem to open on their own in cell block four weird kind of shadow faces emerging from the wall Uh, cell block four might be my favorite there was the famous story of gary the locksmith in the early 1990s who went to crack off a 142 year old lock and according to him he felt this almost vortex open this this pooling feeling of these these forces that were pulling him forward he was beckoned even by a figure to come forward and so that seems to be a very intense energetic area it's also if if i remember correctly it's an area where a guard was murdered by an inmate and then supposedly capone al capone was haunted in his cell by the victim of someone that he had killed james clark Mm -hmm. jimmy in the a hit that he had ordered in the Valentine's Day massacre, it connects to the your Chicago what, Chicago what? history. Yeah, actually, Capone only stayed there for about eight months, so he was supposedly haunted. He would he would be known for shouting out, you know, Jimmy, leave me alone, Jimmy, Jimmy. He also had syphilis. I was just gonna which, say, do you think that's true, or do you think that's the syphilis talking? Well, one doesn't know, but he did have syphilis. There's the guard tower where this was built in the 1950s, where there are a lot of reports of seeing a guard move around up there. And, and let me say, like, because this is this is in the middle of the city now, it was farmland, it's now in the middle of the city. So you walk by, there's bustling life of Philadelphia, wow. and then there's this massive fortress, and, you know, you encounter it, and you see the guard tower, and a lot of times, at, uh, especially during... Halloween time when they do the haunted attraction terror behind the walls, which is how they raise a lot of funds to keep this place operational. They keep the guard tower uh, on the, the searchlight on that. So it's like a, almost like a lighthouse in the middle of Philadelphia. It is an imposing structure in Philadelphia. Have you done the like Halloween haunted housey thing? Oh, many times. So is it super scary? It, it's very good, and it's it's notable for being one of the 
truly the best in the in the nation. And look, Ooh, I, I love. I think I could do it. I love haunted house attractions. And first off, let me say, Eastern State Penitentiary, Terror Behind the Walls, is very respectful. They use the prison history without mocking the pain and suffering that took place there. For instance, there's not a a room where you walk in where somebody is wearing that iron gag. They don't they don't exploit That's that good. part of the history. Yeah, well, I find that I would find that rather crass. And instead, it is scary. It's a it's a cool it's a cool haunt. And compared to I love Universal Halloween Horror Nights. I grew up with that in Orlando. That's that's a multi-million dollar budget haunt, whereas Eastern State Penitentiary does not have that kind of budget, but they do execute a really great, a really great attraction. In fact, I went through the I, I was uh, on an assignment. I was dressed up as a zombie I, and I haunted. I went through the I was worked a night as a scare actor in Eastern State. But yeah, the, my I, I, I think it's worth noting a couple things. This is probably one of my favorite mm-hmm. paranormal locations. It is truly connected to the origins of our nation. You know, we're setting up all these government systems and figuring out how our country works. But then it's like, oh, also, let's figure out the prison system, which I suppose is an important thing. But now, the, some 244 years later, we realize that, well, okay, we got it wrong. And our prison system is a mess in a place where a lot of times minorities are locked away for somewhat minor infractions. It's not about rehabilitating people. Mm-hmm. It's a it, it's a profit making system, yep. and it's very broken. But for me personally, yeah, I I first visited Eastern State in something like two thousand four or five, and then it it became part of my paranormal journey and is very much how I entered into this world on a professional level was by going to Eastern State and having my own experience there and then going back and having multiple experiences there. I've been there, you know, more than two dozen times now. Still one of my favorite places and it's definitely a place where the ghost stories are amazing, are impressive. It's it's compelling as much as a skeptic as I can be. Like I've had incredible experiences there, but it's also a way these ghost stories are a way to keep the history alive of a lot of pain and suffering that took place there. Mm-hmm. Keep history alive by telling these stories. Yeah. Can we for the mini so this week, can you tell your stories of what happened to you at Eastern State? Sure. Probably not all of them. But yeah, I will I will talk cool. a, a little bit about some of those. Sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash America. Well, that was that's a good tease. Yeah. <laughs> um I will. But I will say that I'll go into it further, but even as someone that is constantly debunking stories and my own stories, I'm trying to always understand it. I've had some of the most insane shadow figure encounters there and and strange recordings and i will go into detail uh in the many sode i'm so excited it will it'll be fun to talk about the one thing i will say yeah so it's a very personal place for me i i I truly love it which is why i'm going to end on this note eastern state is very threatened right now this is a 
national landmark. It is a way of like telling not just about ghost stories, not just telling ghost stories, but it's a way of telling about our, our nation's history and our nation's very problematic history with the prison system. Well, because of COVID-19, they have had to unfortunately lay off a significant number of their staff and they have a great staff there and they unfortunately have had to cancel terror behind the walls this year which is the the way that they make most of their funds for the following year so they are in dire straits they're in dire financial straits and if they can't afford to keep this place open I guarantee there's going to be a developer that comes along and is going to able to convince the city to allow them to buy this space. And then this this area that takes mm-hmm. up like a an entire city block or more than that is going to get torn down, this piece of history. So I would like to ask anyone out there, please, if you are able, go to easternstate.org slash support and... Throw a couple bucks their way if you're able, or even tell other people about it and spread the word because this is such an important mm-hmm. part of American history. In Philadelphia, in in sort of the cradle of our democracy, there's also this landmark of our our punishment system, of our judicial system. So I would like to ask everybody to... Show some love to Eastern State if you can. That's awesome. Pick up anything here? Did we, we cover everything, Britt? Did you have any questions about Eastern State and some of the I mean, ghost stories? I've known you for over a year now, so I know quite a bit about Eastern State. I have seen when you were made up like a zombie, which hopefully you'll send me so I can post to the Instagram. Um, I But I didn't realize the importance to our history. Like, I know we talk about these kind of stories a lot, and I think we often forget how important it is to have something like this to tell our stories and how troublesome prisons are in the nations right now. These for-profit prisons are just, I mean, they, they make you sick. So I think that's a really good point to talk about you know, kind of saving this huge part of our American history. Yeah, and they, Eastern State is also the, I forget offhand the name of this exhibit, but they have these exhibits about detailing sort of prison systems around the world, detailing what this says about us as a nature uh, as a a nation they've gone into you know how yeah what what prisons today look like and how sort of that foundation was was established in via eastern state so they definitely reckon with the importance of Mm -hmm. of this real history and and they don't sugarcoat it it gets very dark and in fact they i remember they did this exhibit on dark tourism and how Eastern State kind of connects with even other dark tourist locations, like even Dachau, which is yeah. obviously the concentration camp is very different, but this is also sort of this thing. But I will say, a final moment, is this is a just from a just a 
kind of gee whiz perspective, it's such a hauntingly gorgeous building. I would never want to be brought into there as a prisoner, but it's such a hauntingly gorgeous building. I, I'm in love with this building, just architecturally, these high vaulted ceilings. I'll tell you what, if ghosts aren't real, if ghosts don't exist, they, they would still, uh, it's almost like this is still a perfect haunted house. And if ghosts do exist, then I don't think you could find anywhere that's a better location than somewhere like Eastern yeah. State for them to, to haunt. Are they doing virtual tours? They have been doing some virtual tours. I'd like to sign up for that. I believe it still is continuing. They're trying to reopen in a limited capacity in July. So soon after we record this. So hopefully that does happen, yeah. but they desperately need that that support. So after reckoning with some interesting dark elements connected to the birth of our nation, let's round things out with some paranormal pop culture recommendations. What are what are you into this week? Well, my paranormal pop culture actually kind of ties in with the talk of prisons. But mine is a show that aired Sunday, June 28th. I'll be gone in the dark on HBO. So excited. I've been waiting for this desperately. I loved Michelle McNamara's book. Uh, for those that know, Patton Oswald's wife, Michelle McNamara, wrote a book about the Golden State Killer. You might also know him as the Visalia Ransacker, East Area Rapist, Original Night Stalker, or... D'Angelo, which is his actual name. Um, it, they're, it's, I think, a six-part series. They're doing it so well where they're telling the story of the Golden State Killer, but then they're also sharing the really beautiful love story of Michelle and Patton, and it's just so great. And to top it all off, this, this morning, June 29th, the day we're recording this, um, D'Angelo has agreed to plead guilty for 13 counts of first-degree murder. Um, wow. He will not get the death penalty. Instead, he will have to serve life in prison without parole. So suck it, you asshole. That's my, okay, then. That's my pop culture. <laughs> well, I uh, yeah, I'm familiar with that project. I think it's really interesting. I did not know that it, it spoke to... The relationship of Patton and Michelle as well. It's so. really great. Okay. That's interesting. All right. Well, I'll, I'll definitely have to check it out. I, I was aware of it. I just haven't been able to see it yet. So, yeah, the first episode premiered. It aired last night at the same time as Paranormal Caught on Camera. So. All right. I'm not going <laughs> to ask which one you watch live. Although I will say it's always great when you can watch live because we can use those numbers, baby. Okay. Well... My recommendation, last week I was talking about the Umbrella Academy, and I'm going to kind of go in a sort of the flip side of that, Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol airs on HBO Max streaming platform, mm -hmm. as well as the DC Universe streaming platform, and it's another show sort of about these misfit heroes. They're not even really entirely like heroes uh, they occasionally do heroic things but it stars timothy dalton and brendan fraser oh God, and yeah. matt bomer and 
Diane Guerrero, April Bowlby, Hovian Wade. And the thing I'll say about it, so it's like really weird, but in a delight, like there was a scene last season, it's inter- the second season is now airing. There was a, and I think the first three episodes are available on YouTube for free of the second season. And so it's about sort of this guy that's a, He's a robot man. Is it's a human brain stuck in a robot's body, but not like a cool robot, but a broke down, beat up uh, robot. There's Elastigirl, which is a woman that stretches but doesn't control her powers. There's so each of these are kind of freaks by superhero standards. They they're not cool looking. Their powers are impressive, but they're not sexy by any stretch. But it's incredibly weird. And last season there was. And a, a talking cockroach who <laughs> spouted apocalyptic notions, and there was, and there's this Constantine type character, except his name's Willoughby, and he's a drunk, and played by Mark Shepard from Supernatural. For any of you out there that know that one, and it, based on the comic books, and the Grant Morrison comic books in particular that had the that that arc of them that has such an influence on this particular show but the the thing is and the reason why you might be into it Britt, is it's weird and it's darkly funny and it's definitely a hard r-rated show but amongst all this weirdness there's a lot of heart there's these Mm -hmm. characters are dealing with a lot of trauma and heartbreak but there's this one character in particular that his uh, his sort of superhero name is Negative Man, but he's he's Larry Trainer. He's played by Matt Bomer and also Matthew Zuck. Sort of two actors portray him, and he's this this Air Force pilot, I believe, from the fifties, who had this alien energy that sort of attacked his test flight and burned him badly, and but sort of this self loathing over this physical transformation is mirrored in the fact that he's also a homosexual man that's grappling with this identity a, a, you know a homosexual man from the 1950s and he doesn't and he's in denial about that and he loathes himself for that as well and but there is some incredibly touching moments as in that first season as he comes to terms with that with his personality with his identity and and that's only one element. There's other characters who have been victims of some abuse, some pretty extreme abuse, and how that's connected to their various powers. But it's also funny. It's wildly funny and touching and heartbreaking at times. And yeah, I I highly and plus Brendan Fraser, who plays Robot Man, Cliff Steele, the man swears a lot, but. I don't think I've encountered someone that's delivering an F-bomb quite as satisfying as Brendan Fraser. The way he squared is almost like an art form. So I would, uh, it's just one that I'm, yeah, it's, uh, I've seen the first three episodes of the second season and it is well worth your time. So it's a weird show, but a great show. And, and it really makes you care about these characters. It's perhaps one of the more diverse shows out there as well right now. So Doom Patrol season two. Well, with that said, I think I think we've wrapped up. It's another long episode. It's it my was. fault. 
but but we've wrapped up another story time nightmarican story time and uh let's go head out and have some hamburgers and blast some fireworks yeah guys do some cool american stuff if you like nightmarica please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmarica and consider leaving us a review on apple podcasts give us a follow on social media and share this with your friends and if you'd like to share your paranormal stories or even seek paranormal advice which is for entertainment purposes only email nightmericashow at gmail.com say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill